currently is the director of campus ministries at Regent University. Um, and mostly he is a good and dear friend of Pastor Bobby and I. Um, it was four years ago that I met Jason at Regent. Um, I just moved here from California, didn't have very many friends. Um, and it was after service one day, one night at Regent that um, I went and talked to him and we decided we were going to be friends. And one of the things that Jason told me was, come as close as you want. Um, and I didn't really understand it at the time, but isn't that what Jesus says to us? Come as close as you want. Um, and over these last four years, I've seen him model uh, what healthy uh, relationship looks like with friends, with family, with loved ones. Um, I've seen him model what discipleship looks like, meeting with me every week and hundreds of other guys like Stephen. Um, and, and most of all, I've just watched him modeled what being a true follower of Christ is. Um, when I think of Jason, there's so many things I could say. Um, he's one, one of the most kind, um, gentle, uh, loving guys. He's, he's gen so generous and giving. He'll do anything for you. You can call him in the middle of the night and he'll answer. And um, one of the things that I, when I think of him, I think of the Apostle Paul. Um, in First Corinthians, it says, imitate me as I follow or imitate Christ. Um, and that's, that's what I think of when I think of Jason. Um, I don't know if you're like me, but there's very few people that I would want to imitate or follow that I know. Um, and Jason is that guy for me. He's someone that I would follow or imitate to wherever he, wherever he would go because I know that he is following and imitating Christ. Um, and in the same way, when Jesus came, he, he wholeheartedly went after the things of the Father, but he never forgot his disciples. He never forgot the people around him. And that's what Jason does. He goes after the Father wholeheartedly, but never forgets those alongside him. And um, I'm just so thankful for him that he's willing to be there in the great seasons of our life, my life, the bad seasons when I've been faithful as a friend and when I've not been faithful as a friend. He's always been there. So uh, please give it up for Jason Peets. Uh, good morning. Thank you, James. Um, it's good to see you all. You know, uh, I grew up not far from here, right off of Willroy Road, and so it's not, not too far, and so I'm familiar with Suffolk and the area, and um, Dr. Hill has known my parents for ages. They're coming up, like James said, on 35 years, so uh, I've been born, bred, and raised in Suffolk, so I'm a hometown boy, and uh, I always tell people that um, <clears throat> I come from a peanut field, uh, <laughs> since that's really Suffolk's claim to fame in uh, many regards, but you know, really... Uh, when Dr. Hill asked me uh, to come and share with you, honestly, incredible amount of terror flooded my soul. Um, because you see, Dr. Hill is not just any old man. Um, and so I knew that in coming to his church, that I wasn't just coming to any old church. I was coming uh, into a context full of people who truly um, are going hard after the Lord and are really developing leadership because I feel like that is the, the essence of who Dr. Hill is, and you know, Pastor Bobby is, is truly a leader of leaders, and so I imagine that this morning uh, that there are many of you who are either in the development of being leaders or who are already leading. And so um, as I begin to pray and ask the Lord what we might kind of talk through this morning, um, the Lord just uh, ministered one simple verse to me that I'm kind of hoping that we can unpack quite a bit. 
Um, we're going to kind of move around a little bit. Um, but really, in some senses, my heart uh, in this is that I really felt like the Lord um, is releasing this specific word to this body as almost a corporate word, uh, almost a, a corporate prophetic um, voice in some senses. And I already believe that the Lord wants to move in the prophetic this morning. So we will have a time at the end for the Lord to move in that way. Um, because I just sense this, the, the sweet presence of the Lord already here. So the title of the message for the morning is meekness, releasing control and embracing the promise. Can we pray? Holy Spirit, I just ask that you'd come and fill every nook and cranny of this room and every nook and cranny of every heart. Father, I pray that as we talk about meekness, Lord, that you would show us exactly what it means to be people who are meek. Father, I ask that you would just release your Holy Spirit in this place, that every word would be from you and not from me. Lord, that it would just truly be a, an offering to you this morning. Father, I pray that every single heart, Lord, would have a, an ability to receive, Lord, the seed that you're dispensing this morning. Lord, that it would go deep in their hearts and that it would grow up into something incredible. Lord, we just ask that you would move in a specific way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Truth is, is when I first met my wife about four years ago, we were going on this road trip. It's our very first road trip we had ever been on together. We were recently dating, kind of getting serious, and we decided that we were going to take a little trip up to Pennsylvania to meet uh, my spiritual parents. Uh, they were just happening to be at a conference, and I thought, this is a great opportunity for them to meet her and to approve of this girl, uh, because it's very important to me that they were involved in my heart and in my life. And so when, they, when Dee and I uh, were on our way up um, to this wonderful place in Pennsylvania, we had to go through the dreaded and awful 95. Washington, D.C., that glorious, glorious place where traffic is king. And the truth was is we only had a certain amount of time to get to this service. Service started at 7 o'clock, so I had given myself about an hour and a half extra because I knew D.C. traffic was going to be terrible. I mean, you know, be reasonable, knowing that it's going to be a mess. And as we were going on this trip, you know, I was looking at the GPS's time, and I was so excited. We were on target to get there at 6.59, one minute to spare for a bathroom break, and bam, right into the service we would go. But what ended up happening is the worst traffic jam I've ever seen in my life. We were probably there for three hours instead of that hour and a half that I allotted. And I was feeling the frustration and the anger and all of the things that come when we lose control of a situation. Now, see, I had planned well. I had done everything I needed to do. And I was getting so frustrated and so angry. And I was getting edgy. And she's looking at me and she's like, you don't seem yourself. Are you okay? And, you know, a little bit of that blood was boiling. And I was like, I hate traffic. You know, I'm like starting to like grip the wheel as tight as I can. And in that moment, she just looked at me and she said, Jason, she said, can you control the traffic? And I said, no, I can't. And she said, so why get upset about it? Why get disrupted? Why get bent out of shape over something that I truly 
couldn't control. I think probably if we were all really honest, we would say that we all struggle with this little word called control. I mean, it, it could be in any way. I mean, truthfully, you know, control manifests itself in various areas. You know, it, it could be in your finances where, you know, you kind of become the penny pincher. It could, could be in your relationships or lack thereof. You know, oh, I'm going to keep that person away, a little bit of self-protection. I don't want them to reject me. I'll reject them before they reject me. Or, or maybe, you know, you become highly reactive. Every time, every time something comes into your life and you think that you have it under control and it goes the opposite, you get really upset and you explode or you become reactive. In some ways, you know, people are wondering if there's, you know, a nuclear bomb going off because of all of the uncontrolled inner sense that happens when you lack that external control. But in this sense, I really thought also that in some ways, another reason why we control is because we fear a deficit. Now, I don't know about you, but it's very natural for us to fear a deficit. I mean, with the things that are occurring in our world today, with the news that we experience, they're always discussing the deficit of funds, the, de you know, the deficit of arms, the deficit. It's always this negative talk that we don't have what we actually need. And so in some ways, we all go into, like I call it, bunker mentality, where we lock everything down, we lock everything up, and we're going to be fine. No one else will be okay, but we're going to be fine. And that, in some sense, is exactly what we're plagued with today. But when I was praying about this, the Lord directed me to a verse in Psalm 16 that I'm hoping that today will begin to help us understand what it looks like to really embrace meekness, to release that control, and to embrace the change. If you read with me, Psalm 16 says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. And I, as for the saints in the land, they are excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another goal shall multiply, and their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to shale or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When you think about this entire passage of Scripture, what you'll recognize if you look through it is that there is a general sense of safety, security, a source of all life, counsel, acceptance, and fullness. That for us in this moment reading this Psalm 16 passage, it says to us really in so many words, there is no need to be concerned about the things that you cannot control. Why? Because God is the one who is in control. And I think in a lot of ways, when I was reading through this, I was thinking about how there's not a single point in the, in the psalm 
that seems to indicate that you or I are the people who can actually guarantee that kind of control. The every single word, you know, all the personal pronouns are you, 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 going back to the Lord. You know, the truth is, is that when I was praying, I really did feel like the Lord wants to release inheritance today to this house. I felt like as I was praying that the word inheritance began to resound in my soul. And I was asking the Lord what exactly it was that he desired to release in Riverbend Church today. Back in March, myself and actually Stephen was with me. We went on a mission trip to Nashville, Tennessee, where we were going to do outreach and minister to the homeless, to children, to young adults, etc. And we came in contact with a, a pastor there, uh, really an amazing guy who really blew my mind and, and his life, what he's done. He's, a, he's an abolitionist uh, where he used to work in India freeing uh, women from sex trafficking. Just amazing guy. And um, when we were leaving from having this conversation with him about why he started in a church in Nashville, what he was doing, uh, he looked at me and he said, I really feel like the Lord is saying to you, Jason, um, blessed, are the, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, I've heard this verse many times. Matthew chapter 5 comes from the Sermon on the Mount. It's a great beatitude. And, and truthfully, I don't know very many people who've exhausted what it meant to be meek and to inherit the earth. But as I was praying through this message and I was thinking about the word inheritance, I couldn't help but to immediately think about that passage. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So in the sense of the Psalm 16 and in the sense of inheritance, what I'd like to challenge you, which is what this incredible young man uh, challenged me with, is he said, the truth is, is the inheritance is all of the promises of God. Now, sometimes I don't necessarily think of inheritance in that fashion. I have too much of a financial understanding tied to it. But the reality is, is that throughout Scripture, anytime there is a talk of inheritance, it is always directly connected to the promises of God. Whether it's the promises of Abraham, the promises of Isaac, the promises of Jacob, the promises of Jesus, all of the inheritance for the people of God are all of the promises of that God has given. You know, we also know that in scripture it says that all of God's promises are yes and amen, meaning yes, and so it will be. And so I feel like for us today, the God is desperately asking us, will we pay attention to the fact that every promise you have ever received, whether it would be from the scriptures, whether it would be from a friend, whether it would be from a family member, whether it would be from a time of church ministry, that every promise is yours today. That it could be something as simple as healing of a busted ankle to the finances that I need to put my child in college. All of the promises are yes. And in so many ways, as I was praying and asking the Lord for what was really to be said, I felt like God said, if you will maintain a heart of meekness, you will receive everything. Now, the problem is with that wonderful, beautiful statement is that not a soul knows what meekness is. There is not, I mean, the truth is, is that the moment someone says meek, the first word that comes to mind is one of two things, weak or mild. And we have a, a wonderful Christmas hymn to thank us for, meek and mild. But for whatever reason, I guess the rhyme factor comes into play where meekness is some sort of weakness. 
And the truth is, is we did receive that mentality from the ancient Greco-Roman perspective. See, meekness, it's this beautiful little word in Greek that they would use to indicate um, typically that somebody was in service to another person. Now, see, if you're Greek and Roman, you don't want to be the servant of any other person. You want to be the person who has others who serve you and others who will do whatever you ask them to do. So in so many ways, we are challenged with this word, this little word that's meek, that in our culture says, you really don't want to be like this, because if you do that, then it puts you in some sort of posture that is uncomfortable and probably not that high of esteem. Now, the wonderful thing is, is that this word meek didn't start in the Greco-Roman period. We can take it back a little bit farther to to the ancient Near East, where in the ancient Near East, the, the kings and the leaders of that day never found themselves ever using meekness apart from using the word mighty. So in some ways, I want you to begin to unlearn in some fashion that meekness equals weakness. And remember that the beginning of meekness is really in being mighty. In the same passage of scripture that we've read, whether it would be Matthew 5 or even in Psalms where it's talking about this idea of the meek inheriting the earth, I think that it's really interesting that when I was studying things that there's this sense about meekness that um, can often be uh, where people are like, oh, it means gentle and it means humble as well. Uh, But the truth is, is that's just because we struggle with with really what this word looks like in a fuller sense. The more I got into studying this word, which I'm passionate about etymology, I love where our words come from, why we use them, I found this beautiful picture. I love when words really have a picture tied behind them. That when I would say meek to someone, the picture that would come into their mind is the picture of taking a wild animal putting a harness on that animal, and then showing it how to use its strength for positive purposes rather than negative purposes. In some senses, it's to take that wild thing and to bring a sense of tameness that never causes strength to be lost, but causes for strength to be harnessed so that something powerful can occur. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I I was a little bit more willing to buy into this idea of meekness. Because truthfully, I mean, who does not want to be powerful in some fashion? But at the same point that I realized I wanted to be powerful, I also realized that without some form of restraint, without some form of, of, um, of boundary, we could call it, I will never know my full capacity. I used to be a cowboy, truthfully. I used to train horses when I was younger. And what we found consistently is that a horse who is, who is able to run around in a pasture will never run as fast as a horse that has been bridled and saddled. Because the truth is, is that it takes something outside of yourself to be able to show you what you can actually do. This idea of meekness is what the Lord is asking you today, will you submit to? 
Yes, you might be awesome. You might be powerful, but I see you running around in the field, but you will never have the capacity to win the triple crown, which we saw American Pharaoh do yesterday, unless there is the sense of harness and focus that removes the external atmosphere and maintains the internal capacity. Does this make sense? You got to talk to me a little bit because I'm doing the best I can. Amen. You know, I really did love this idea of, of the horse bridling um, because that is such a challenging process. If you're not familiar with horses, I mean, yeah, they literally call it a breaking in order for you to get to the point where a horse can be ridden. And, uh, and, and I was, as I was thinking about that, I was, I was really struck in my own person, you know, just saying, okay, wow, you know, uh, when I was training Misty's Red Rocket, uh, we never even knew truly what he was capable of doing until we started regularly putting that bridle on him, regularly putting that saddle on him to the point where he became so familiar with it that he no longer fought it any longer. Now, I think for us as people, we don't like the bridle and we don't like the saddle. Because there's a little bit of momentary restraint that comes that all of a sudden puts you in a little bit of unnerved. Oh, no. Where, what am I doing? Where am I going? My whole world's changing. I used to run free. I used to be great. I used to be fine. And now I'm like cinched here. I got something in my mouth. I can't even talk. Now what? And truthfully, I think for each one of us, it is a recognition that you have to take your heart and say, God, I will be willing to be meek every single Now, I want to encourage you something, because all of us control freaks, all of us people who want to manage everything to the inch, all of us administrative people, we got any of those in here? Meekness is something in Scripture that is never attained. It is always something that is given. Not a one time will you see throughout Scripture that meekness is something you can do or you can find the ability to do, it is always a gift to be received. I mean, I'll give you two for instances. Galatians 5, it says that the fruit of the Spirit contains meekness. That is not the fruit of your work. That is the fruit of the Spirit. In Colossians chapter 3, it says, put on meekness meaning it is something already fashioned and made, and now all you have to do is place it on. These are not things, you know, that's, I think that's sometimes our heart, our, the difficulty with some of us Christians where we think we got to keep doing stuff to get farther in the Lord. Oh, if I could just do more, then I'd be able to have control of my world and my life, and everything would be smooth and sweet sailing. But the truth is, is that really God is asking us with a sense of meekness, will you release that control and embrace the promise that I have for you? I'd like to just give you one passage of Scripture that I really feel like empowers us in doing this. And it's just 
four simple principles that I'm hoping to extract from the passage so that we might be people who can maintain meekness. Matthew 11 and verse 29. How to receive meekness, how to release your control and embrace the promise. The first thing we read in this, in this wonderful section of scripture is it says, come to me. I'm giving you a little context. To all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is right. The first thing that I'd like to direct your attention to in this passage is that it says, first and foremost, that it takes your yielding in order for you to have meekness. Take my yoke upon you. The picture that I had when I was reading this is that we need to become people in the body who are quicker to embrace the yellow light than the green light. That in some senses, what the yellow light says is, whoa, we have to proceed only when we know we're supposed to go. Too often, people who are in control want to go, 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 get it done, cross it off the list, Check the little box. I mean, this is me. I'm preaching to myself right now. You know, when you got those gifts of administration, you don't know what to do with sometimes. You're like, check, check, check. Yes, Lord, look at all I did. And he's like, Jason, Jason, Jason. I'm asking you to yield for a second. That in some ways, it takes your willingness to submit. It takes your choice to submit to the yoke of meekness. The second challenge I have for you, not just to yield, the second thing in this passage that we see, which I find to be extremely powerful, is he says, learn from me. The number one way you can learn in your life is by using your five senses. Right? That's how you learn, your five senses. How many of you are auditory learners? You use your ears. Some people use your sight, right? You need, I need a picture. I need, you know, throw that PowerPoint up there. Um, some people learn a lot by taste. Uh, in fact, uh, the Hebrew culture, they always learn by taste. One of the first things that they would teach the little boys when they were learning the scriptures, they would take a bit of honey and glob it on their tongue. And when they globbed it on their tongue, they would say, what else in the world tastes like honey? Nothing. It's so different. It's so exquisite in so many ways. And they would say, that's the word of God. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I said, oh, that's good. I need to start incorporating some tasting into my learning, you know? I don't know maybe I'm like a little bit of a secret foodie in that way. But I, I really believe that there, there, there's an ability to learn by the things that you feel and you touch. How often do we recognize either the presence of God or the lack of the presence by what you sense in your body, right? I mean, this morning during worship, I'm a lover of your presence. I'm like, yes, God, I feel you in my skin. I sense you, you know, in the atmosphere. Praise the Lord. You know, and so I just, I want to encourage you that when you're going into not just choosing to be somebody who's yielded, but also at the same time choosing to be somebody who will be a learner. Now, I mean, I know you guys are real smart, and you've probably known this. Dr. Bobby Hill has educated you well. But, you know, the word disciple is really just the word learner. And the problem with us as disciples of Christ is that we do not like to learn because we like it our way. 
But here in this passage, he's saying, will you yield and will you learn from who? Me. Not learn from yourself, not learn from your circumstances, not learn from your experiences, learn from me. It's crucial for our life and our development, that power of of choosing in some senses to present yourself yielded to God and then to choose to say, I will learn. You know, when I was in um, college, my third time around, um, my dad always says, you got more degrees than a thermometer. Um, (laughs) The truth is, is I started recognizing that in order for me to learn to the greatest ability was to sit on the front row. I was without distraction. I couldn't see what other people were or weren't doing. I could bring focus and attention to that. It was really a choice. You know, even when I talk to students at the university, they're like, I'm not learning anything from my classes. And I ask the question, are you actually posturing yourself to learn? Are you positioning yourself in a place to learn? Are you reading your textbooks? (laughs) No, Jason, I I don't have any time. I'm like, what are you doing? Going to the beach, hanging out with my girlfriend. I'm like, this is school. Getting your books. Um, But in some ways, what I love about it is right here, after he says, learn from me. This just is so powerful. He says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. That word gentle is really movement. That word that I've been defining this whole time. See, we have to remember that in these moments where Jesus says, I am, in the Greek, it's this fancy little phrase that says, ego a me. It's the same word, I am, that you hear in the Old Testament when God says, this is who I am, Yahweh. So when Jesus says, I am anything, they're all going, he's like God in this moment. That in this moment, Jesus is saying to every single one of us, I am meek. How do you learn meekness? How do you get it? You have to look at me. See, meekness can't come from you. I can't tell you this enough. Your control of your life doesn't come from you. You have to look at something outside of yourself. You know, in this simple little verse, I am meek, Jesus challenges us. He looks at us and he says, what in my meekness have I not inherited? What in who I am What and who I have done, what and what I have been able to submit to the Father on, have I learned from the Holy Spirit, have I not done in my life, so that you can now embrace all the promises that are in me, not outside of me, but in me. The second two things that I want you to also learn, hopefully from this passage, beyond yielding, beyond learning is that in order for you to find that inheritance and to find that promise, there's only one way to access that, and it's by recognizing your identity as a son, as a daughter of God. See, the truth is, is inheritance does not come by any other manner but by progeny. It doesn't, you don't inherit something unless there is a blood relationship that you have with another. Aunts and uncles, you know, you always hear those stories, my aunt died and left me $20 million, it's crazy. I'm like, you don't even know your aunt. 
But because of that bloodline, because of that familial relationship, you get everything. If you can wake up in the morning and look yourself in the mirror and say, I am a son of God or I am a daughter of God, immediately it, in, it entitles you to full inheritance of the promises of God. I mean, if you wake up every morning and you're struggling with depression and you look in that mirror and you say, I am a son of God, depression cannot be there because joy is always received. See, whatever you think is the difficulty in the external circumstances, this kind of meekness, this kind of submission, this kind of learning, this kind of recognition releases something internally in you that causes you to be unaffected by what's happening outside of you. I mean, this is something that is so rich. There is never a deficit. When it comes to inheritance, even when you have spent all of your inheritance, walked out the door and done every single thing you can do possible to go away from that family, when you come back, you still get it all. That's the prodigal story, right? The son recognizes even those people who serve, those people who are willing to be low in my father's house, still get a better life than this is. But if you are a son, you don't just live on that bottom level of servitude. You live in full inheritance. Put the ring on the finger. Put the robe on your back. Put that meekness on. And all of a sudden, everything is yours again. I really believe that the Lord is asking you, what have you been in deficit of? What has been lacking in your situation? Whatever it is, this answer is meekness. It is the willingness to be able to recognize how shall I yield? How shall I learn? Looking to the sun and becoming one, that is the path, the path. That is the way in order to see the inheritance of God. The fourth and final thing is it says at the end of this passage, and you will find rest for your souls. I'll tell you what. That idea of rest. That is some incredible creational language. Back from Genesis chapter 1. And God saw that everything was good. And he rested. See the reality of everything being good. That word good is also the word beautiful. And it, it, it is the ability to acknowledge that everything has been ordered and placed in the perfect point for everything to exist in absolute wonderment. That every single thing has been literally put on the shelves, so to speak. Everything you could ever need, everything you could ever want is on the shelf of your life when you come into rest. And you can go into that cupboard at any point and take what you need. Not that you did it, it was already put there for you. That's what rest looks like. Now, I just want to encourage you for a second. If we were to go back to our other passage where it says, Oh, the lines have fallen in pleasant places. This is a recognition that that creational language says that there has been lines drawn 
just as if there were lines drawn in the Garden of Eden and everything in that garden you have dominion over, everything in that garden you have submission over, everything in that garden you have to keep and hold and to till if you stay within that boundary. And I love it that that end of that verse says, for I have a beautiful inheritance. That's that same word good. That's that same word that he uses to say everything is good and I can go to rest in this moment. Is that my inheritance is always going to be found in a place of rest. Not in a place of trying to get control over everything. Not in a place of trying to get everything together. It comes from that place of rest. So I know that many of you say, Jason, I've done this before. I've lived this life. I've put myself under the yoke. I've tried to be meek. And I hear you. But there's one other concept that slips into this idea of meekness throughout the ages. And it's the concept of perseverance. That in order for you to maintain a life of meekness, you can never give up on the meek one. You can never give up on thinking that Jesus is not in the yoke with you. And that he will not pull you harder than you can go. And he will not slow you down when you want to go. But he is going to challenge you to embrace the promise that he has. I think it's humorous that in some ways we're talking about this yoke, which is so that the field will have perfect lines in it. Just like it says in Psalm 16. Oh, the lines have fallen in pleasant places. Why do you till the ground so that the seed can go in it and so that all of the inheritance can be reaped? I want to encourage you this morning that when I left Nashville and that young pastor looked at me and he began to challenge me and said, I see meekness on your life, Jason. He used a word that I'd like to use to really, really just kind of hopefully drive this home for you. And it's a word, he said, you know, I really think, Jason, for me, I, the way I define meekness is teachability. And I, I'd like to encourage you today that if you really are like, I just don't know how I can do this, Jason, you, you've made it maybe simple, maybe frustrating, maybe hard to understand. I just want to encourage you that really it is always going to be the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that will teach you. You never have to fear that they are not going to be there. And you know, in fact, our, our word tells us that the Spirit will guide you into all truth, will guide you when you don't know what to do. It will guide you when you feel frustrated. So in that sense, what I'd love to do is re I want to read Psalm 16 one more time, and I'm going to close. But I want you to think about it in regards to meekness. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. There's that releasing of control. I'm not hiding in my own power anymore. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Oh, there he is. I'm the meek one, is what he says. As for the saints in the land, they are excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Father, we thank you that because of our meekness, delight is always on our life. But oh, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. If you live under a life of control and a life without meekness, you will find that your drink offerings of blood, I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord's like, that's not what I'm looking for. 
But instead, Yahweh is my chosen portion and my cup. He maintains my lot. Come on. He maintains that area. That inher- He maintains that area. I don't have to worry about anybody stealing. Come on. He maintains my lot because the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, not in bad places, not in frustrating places, not in challenging, difficulty, frustrating places, in pleasant places, in good places. And so indeed, I have a good and beautiful inheritance. It is far too often that we still, as believers, cannot be a witness to the world because we have not attained the inheritance that God has given us. So we sound and we look just like the world who is in control of everything in their own life and not submitted to the yoke of meekness. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. If you don't know how to do it, he gives counsel. In the night, my heart instructs me. Some of us need to recognize it takes secret places in order for you to understand the spaces that God is giving you. I mean, if we would be people who would pray in the night, we would find that our heart gets instruction on what to do. I have set the Lord always before me, not sometimes, because he is at my right hand in the yoke with me and not without me, and I shall not be shaken. Not a single boundary marker will be removed unless the Lord allows it. And we need to recall that and remember it. Therefore... My heart is glad, and my whole being is rejoicing. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm ready for life like that. My flesh also dwells secure. There is never insecurity found in the heart of God. For you will not abandon my soul to hell or let your Holy One see corruption. I am not going to see plants and inheritance wither in my life. When I submit to meekness, I submit myself to not paying attention to the externals, but I recognize the wholeness that happens on the internal. You make known to me the pathway of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. It's far too often that Christians are not joyful enough to tell the world that the news that we have for them is good. And that's your right hand. There it is again. He is right there. Come on. At your right hand. Now, this time he's not talking about the yoke. He's talking about the throne. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I really do believe that God is inviting this congregation to be people who would release control. I specifically felt like this was a prophetic word to this body. That there is areas of control that you have in your life currently. There is external pressures that have been occurring around you and amongst you that have been causing for you to react to the situation instead of understanding that I am meek and lowly and I will teach you how to survive and make it in the situation. Will you be those who will embrace all of the promises? Because I really believe that God desires to, dif- to literally just dispense an inheritance in this house. And I really feel that by the Spirit of the Lord that there is an inheritance that is coming for many of you who have felt like you have toiled for years and have not seen anything come back. 
but the Lord has never been slack concerning his promises. Amen. God is not a man that he should lie. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you today to identify what are the promises that are currently not fulfilled in your life. What are the deficits that need to be seen as inheritance for you today? And I, I want to pray for you. I really want to pray for you. I want to tell you this story real quick about this exact thing that happened in my life. My wife, um, we have a seven-month-old baby. She is truly the joy of my life. Her name is Mercy. And um, we were at a, a huge juxtaposition of my wife stopping to work at her job anymore and becoming a stay-at-home mom. Two, unco- two incomes to one. You know what that looks like on the external. Amen. Two incomes to one. I mean, she had been working for the university for like six years. She, you know, she was doing well. And we felt like that's what the Lord told us to do. And so truthfully, we were getting nervous because we knew the baby was born November 1. We knew that by December 1st, that doctor was going to start saying, where's my money? Where's my money? And, uh, and truthfully, we just said, you know what? It's okay. We're not going to worry about any of this. We, we believe that we are in the yoke with the Lord, and he will teach us how to walk this thing out. So that bill came in. It was large, as you can imagine, after having a baby. Many of you probably know that reality. And uh, we were at a Christmas party with my, uh, my father's family. And my, my aunt said to my dad, um, hey, we, you know, we have this thing we want to give to Mercy. Um, it, it was a, a coin that had been given to her from her father, who was my grandfather. And uh, he had given all of us this coin. It's a beautiful coin, and um, and you know, had been in the family for a long time from the early 1900s, and so we were so excited to get this coin. And she randomly said to my dad, um, "No," she said to me. She said, "Jason, um, did uh, do you have your coin that I gave you?" I said, "No, I, I don't." You know, I was thinking back to when I got married. My dad gave me a lot of the things that had been in the safety deposit box from. You know, all the things that grandparents and aunts and uncles give you when you're like a baby and you don't know what any of it means. And all of a sudden, we went, uh, we went home that day, and I, I went and I looked in my safe, and I said, I don't, I don't have that coin. So I said, Dad, I said, I don't have that coin. Would you be willing to check and see if you still have it? And so he said, no, I gave it to you when you got married. And I, I said, Dad, I looked everywhere. You know, I keep, I'm not, you know, everything is controlled. <laughs> I got it all in that safe. Uh, and I know that, that that can't be true. So he went and pulled out his, he went out, he went and looked into his safe, and he saw that he still had that coin. And it was, there was a, a plastic envelope in there. And in that plastic envelope was not just that coin, but it was about 25 saving bonds from my grandfather that I didn't even remember existed. That covered the full price. Full price. Now listen, when, when you live in that yoke, there is never a deficit. And, and truthfully, I can tell you with 100% honesty, since we came home, we, we were obedient to the leading of the Lord. Since we have come home from that, from that day and Dee decided to not go back to work full time, we have not seen anything but an increase in our savings, an increase in random people giving us things that we did not have the finances for. And I am convinced that it is because the, 
lines have fallen in beautiful places. That my inheritance is going to be good because that little girl isn't just mine, it's the Lord's. That's his inheritance. And so I just want to encourage you today. I hope that my story, my life, and just this simple talk would just encourage you to say, I'm not there. I'm not there right now, Jason, but I want to be there. So I want to give us an opportunity real quick. If you feel like you are a person um, who says, man, I have a hard time releasing control, I'm just going to ask you to stand up at this moment. You're like, I have a real hard time releasing control in my life. And it's fine. Listen, I'm not, this is not to belittle you, but I'm just going to ask God to bless you specifically concerning control. So just as a simple act of releasing control, I'd, I'd like you guys to, you know, let it go a little bit. And I'm going to pray. Father, right now, I just thank you for every person who has admitted their difficulty in control. Father, I pray that in the name of Jesus, they would see you as the meek one, the one that comes into the situation, brings all order, all inheritance, and all fullness. And Father, I bless them, Lord, with all of the inheritance that's been given through Jesus for them. Lord, that every single person, God, would recognize that there is a huge opportunity today to receive inheritance. So, Father, I pray that, Lord, we would see in the next weeks, in the next months, in the next year, an increase of inheritance in every person's life. Father, whether it is emotional, whether it is spiritual, whether it is physical, whether it is relational, vocational, financial, Father, that the inheritance of God would be released in every life today. And Father, we thank you for being in the yoke with us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Just real quick while we're still here, I just, um, just felt like the Lord just wanted me to identify a couple people that I felt like the Lord has a word for. just feel like the Lord's put some things on on uh, my heart to, sh to share. This couple on the second row, uh, what are your names? Bonnie and Stuart. Awesome. I just kept feeling like the Lord said, and you guys know them, and I don't. 